Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. Yes, we're back from the holidays. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving if you celebrate that. I'm sure you had something to be thankful for with the family. I am happy to announce that I will be headlining at the City Winery. Wonderful spot. They have good food. It's just a nice space in New York City here on December 16th at 7.30 p.m. If you want to get those tickets, just go to citywinerynyc.com or you could go to marinafranklin.com for those tickets. This week on Friends, we have a new friend who actually felt like an old friend. That's how awesome she was. And I am so happy to introduce you to Dana Frank. Dana Frank is an accomplished businesswoman who manages several hundred residents for TD Frank Family Properties, keeping the business that her parents started in the 1950s alive and thriving with grace and wit. She has taken the business world by storm to challenge continuing issues of gender and racial discrimination in real estate and banking. Dana also finds purpose in serving her community by supporting at-risk youth. Her work focuses on guiding the rising stars of Seattle towards collaboration to motivate political change for socioeconomic equity in marginalized communities. In her upcoming debut novel, Get Up and Get On It, like, you know what I mean? Like, get on it and buy her novel. Dana reveals the formula for creating generational wealth. It's a great episode, and I'm sure you're going to share it with a friend. Also, welcome back our friend Kanice Serka. Kanice, all the way from South Africa, she made it. Kanice has produced and performed in her Netflix special, Ladies Up, Comedy Premium League, and Amazon Prime's Something From Nothing and Improv All-Stars Game Night. Kanice is also known for her comedic acting. Her short film, The Shilas, was selected for the Voot Select Film Festival. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeustin. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies. It's hoodie season. Coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Go to marinafranklin.com. Saturdays on my YouTube channel, I go live with my wacky friend, Dave Jessica. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out, stay safe, wash your dirty little hands, be nice, and Black Lives Matter.
I've got a new friend for you. Ooh, ooh, I can't wait. Her name is Dana Frank, and she talks about black philanthropy and menopause and real estate and black legacy. Ooh, I can't wait. And returning friend, Kanisirka. She's in South Africa, Cape Town right now. Oh, my God. Why are you there? You come back to New York. You better bring your butt back. Okay. Welcome to Friends Like Us. It is so good to have you, Dana Frank you. and Kanice Circa. You both are such wonderful ladies to join me on this Monday before Thanksgiving. I know everything is hectic, so I'm yeah. so grateful that you took the time out. Um, well, I'll start with you, Kanice, only because I am yes. curious. Why are you in Cape Town and not oh, in New yes. York City? Right. So I, I am originally from South Africa and my parents live in Cape Town and my cousin's getting married. So I come to Cape Town for my family wedding, my big fat Indian family wedding that's taking I place this weekend. Yeah. Oh, okay. yes. I'm going to be watching all your social media. Exactly. That's that's how it's one way of keeping up with my life. <laughs> I just watch my social media. Now, Dana, you don't know this, but I Dana. learned to dance at Suba's wedding. It was an Indian wedding yes. with uh, Kanice. And I'm curious, do you have dances planned at this wedding as well? We don't have dances planned, but what we we might. I feel like we're going to break into dances. Somewhere. It's going to be like the way we did, Marina, where we learned it the day before. <laughs> and then we just... And we did a really good job. We had oh, one day. It. Dana, we had one day to learn the dance. We learned it and we performed it. So I was like, I'm I think I got this. It's impressive for sure. So it was big traditional with the hennas and the whole. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing Mendy and everything. We're doing all like this, like five functions starting tomorrow. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday is the wedding. Wow. And then Sunday is the after wedding. These weddings are long. <laughs> I'm going to follow your social media too. That is Thank you. Yeah. So I'm excited. And the food is so, I'm still working off yeah. the, the Supa's wedding. The food was so amazing. Oh man. I, I, one thing I really miss is Indian food. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from a lot of people in New York, but I haven't found good Indian food in New York city yet. Oh my God. I feel like we're going to get a lot of comments at this point of the no, podcast. Tell us the truth. Thank I just feel like I don't, I don't like the Indian food in New York City. Uh, but apparently in Jersey, the, the food's good. So I've got to go out there and try Indian food. Have you I'm been in Chicago? Commuter, yeah, I'm, I'm in a commuter marriage. My husband lives in Nashville. And mm. first stop every time I go there is the Chawan Ale House. It's the best Indian food I have found bar none. In Nashville? In Nashville. Oh, surprise. okay. Good to know. Thank Excellent you. Excellent Indian food. So your husband Thank is, you, this is great, Dana. So Dana, you yeah. are new to the show. You're new to us. And it, listen, it is an honor to have you. I am so glad you reached out and you wanted to come Thank on you. the show because what you're doing is amazing. What your family has done to help with for housing to just, I'm going to get into that in a second, but you said mm. commuter relationship, your husband, I, what is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, Maria, thank you so much uh, for having me and just I just love both of your comedy acts. So I am out of my league. 
I'll say that to start with. You guys are both brilliant and so accomplished. Um, my marriage, uh, my husband lives in Nashville. I got married just two years ago, second marriage. Hmm. And um, his business, he uh, works out of Nashville and I'm in Seattle and my business is here. So I tell everybody that's why my marriage works because he's not around long enough to get on my nerves. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, so good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've often thought, like, I've said this on the show before, if I have someone, they need to be, like, I need to have a house and them to be in a separate location all the time. Same. Really works. I mean, we see each other every 10 days um, at at the longest. And, you know, if his work has him traveling someplace, I mean, like, we'll meet. We were in L.A. last week. We were in Austin last month. Wherever he goes, if it's Milwaukee in December, I'll take a hard pass, but otherwise I'm good to go. Yeah. Milwaukee in December is, I was there in November of last year. I did a a thing for the women's fund. It's cold. Yes. It's like Chicago cold. Sorry guys, where's Milwaukee? (laughs) By Chicago. Okay. Got it. Sorry. it's like you could drive. I actually flew from Milwaukee to Chicago. It was really stupid. I remember the driver who was driving me to the airport. He goes, I could have driven you to Chicago instead oh. of to the airport. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, those cold Chicago winters. Oh, my son lived there for three years after college. And uh, yeah, I knew it would bring him back to the Pacific Northwest because that, that's bitter cold. It's very cold there. Oh, hi. Right, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Yeah. So I love how I love how American I American I've become because I don't know any geography. And I'm like, oh, I really have become American. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is it. us. <laughs> we don't know, we don't know the we don't have a globe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I want to talk to you, Dana, about your family. Uh, Frank TD Frank Family Properties is a black owned business operated by the Frank family and consists of over a hundred properties. In the greater Seattle area, these properties range from single-family homes to 35-unit residential apartment buildings reaching as far south as Columbia City up to Capitol Hill. But you could speak to it better than I can because I know that you've expanded. So tell me more. Thanks, Maria. Uh, Our story, you know, um, really started in 1950 when my dad was an 18-year-old young black kid in Detroit, Michigan. His options were limited. My grandfather said, don't ruffle any feathers because my father was known to ruffle them. And he said, you know, take a good job at either Chrysler or Ford. And my father said, putting in a double shift and coming home at the end of two weeks with barely enough to put food on the table wasn't an option. So um, he left Detroit, came all the way across country in his van. He was a budding drummer. And um, enrolled in the University of Washington, and then he started playing drums, light about his age, and started playing drums in uh, nightclubs where he met a patron looking to sell a home. So my parents got together, married, and they continued to purchase a property every year for 19 years without wow. And um, so wow. that's now in the third generation. My adult kids are taking over. It started 70 years ago, and we've just kept the legacy growing and expanding. So how are some of the challenges for the family? Because we we see everything with redlining. And I always worry about, like, you know, black-owned businesses getting uh, funding, getting money, getting, uh, what is it? I'm just learning this stuff, by the way. Yeah. Venture. No. Like, what were the challenges? 
I always say that my childhood was different than most, where, where many parents were taking their kids to the park during the summers. My father would say, hey, now time to get up and get on it. And he'd pack the station wagon with picket signs. And we would literally go and put pickets on banks. And if they didn't respond, then we'd go to the bankers' homes and put pickets on wow. there. And, I mean, he just really amplified his his uh, story to say That's this right. is not fair. And, I mean, we really redefined the central locations. I mean, now when I look at the areas that my family started investing in, we're literally all within the Red Line District, and banks would not give funding. So my father, I call it the real approach. You know, he did his research. He expanded his network and par- partnered with a ton of the Jewish business owners in the community, the carpet exchange, the uh, people that own the hardware store. They put up the funding, and then my father and mother would refinance, buy their partners out, and then move to the next project and reinvest. And then the, the, the A of my real program is amplifying your story. You can't sit quiet. You have to let people know if there's injustice. And then leverage. Take the bankers to lunch. Uh, Leverage your relationships and in your community and find investors. Amazing. Now, Kanish, you're hearing this. Sorry. Cape Town. Yeah, no, I, yeah, Cape Town. (laughs) Which has got its own, I mean, my God. I've had uh, David Cow on the show and he's told me about the challenges of, of like just everything in, in South Africa and Georgia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, the thing is, I think in Cape Town specifically, it's still so segregated. The areas are so segregated. And you have your, and I'm going to say the word colored area because coloreds are a race in South Africa. <laughs> it's not, it's not the word, we, it's not a derogatory term. It's a race everyone uses to call the colored people. That's their area. And you have the black people in a lot of townships. Um, in fact, we live in this very, white area. And I think we're one of the two Indian families or brown families in this area. And I, I was, I've been living in India for 17 years. When I came back last year, I came here in Cape Town for a year. I was, I was taken back by how segregated at least Cape Town still is. I was like, oh, this is, there are still very specific areas where people live and hang out or, or work in. I was taken back by that. I was like, oh, I thought 17 years later we had, we would be somewhere else, but we weren't. Do you deal with the electricity problem where they turn off the electricity at a certain hour? Load shedding. They just, yeah, there's just, I think it's, I don't know a lot because again, I I don't live here, Mm -hmm. but I know load shedding is a big problem. My parents have a generator and most homes have a generator. In fact, I was worried because my dad's like, there might be load shedding tonight. I was like, oh my God, I have this podcast recording. Because then the internet doesn't work when there's load, sh- load shedding. But luckily, there isn't any load shedding tonight. So um, <laughs> I was like, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. But when I had David Cow on um, from South Africa, and I didn't even know oh. that was a thing. And mm. I was like, what? You don't have electricity. You have load sharing is where you they turn off. So you have to turn on a generator. Right. Yeah. They like they just they like for two hours and like they'll tell you there is a time there's a schedule it doesn't just go off randomly but they'll be like today from like three to five you won't have electricity so you do know in advance if that's anything <laughs> like you have that much information um but it's interesting yeah i think it's it, it's a lot of corruption involved and that's why this is happening but yeah insane to me right i know because in india or new york i've never experienced electricity cuts before 
um, in, in Mumbai, at least in the city, Mumbai, we never experienced electricity cuts. Um, wow. Now, so, I, my God. so back to you, Dana. So and oh, overcoming the challenges of redlining and, and letting people know about the banks in, in Seattle, right? I am curious, like, um, if there are still challenges like today for you, like I, I, I saw a video of you talking about like, you know, post pandemic, you know, what it must be like, because like as Kanice was saying, like even today, you, you like for me, I'm living in New York City. I'm from Chicago. Like I was telling you before, grew up in Highland Park. But how did we get in? My dad knew some people. He had, had Jewish friends, Jewish business partners, was able to get a house there. That's the only way I we had a house right. there. Uh, outside of that, I don't think we would have been there. And I rem- and there was a lot of racism, too. There was a lot of people who did not want us in the cul-de-sac. Yeah. <laughs> so I am curious, like, 2023, what, is the, what are the new challenges? You know, it's interesting. Um, there's a book by Emily Flitter called White Wall, and she talks about how um, Jimmy Kennedy, who was an African-American NFL, former Super Bowl winner, he went to Chase Bank and was not allowed to get private client status. And the tapes that were recorded, and he had seven figures that he was putting in the bank, um, they said, uh, we don't bank with people that look like you. And I mean, this is, this is really still happening today. I mean, when we look at the articles, um, the reparations that are being considered to give for the, the, the discrepancy between 74% of white household, households own a home. And I think the statistic is compared to 64% of black households. I mean, the gap is still so wide and it's like, how do we narrow this gap and allow home ownership for everybody? Um, and so growing up, my father had a saying, and it was just because it's on your ass doesn't make it an asset. And so playing to change that narrative and keep that story going, you can, you can have the fancy jewels and the nice cars and all of this, but cash roads, equity grows. So how are we going to get people in these marginalized communities to get in the game? Because they yes. can sit on the sidelines and watch it, but it's it's going to happen. And the change, gentrification, I mean, neighborhoods that we have lived in that were once all black occupied are now all white. And it's just it's just a fact. So we've just got to change the narrative and teach people early on how to invest, how to align themselves with the right partners and, you know, I don't care. Real estate does not discriminate based on what color you are, what religion, what uh, pronoun you go by. I mean, you get in the game and it's going to escalate and take care of you. So how do you educate people specifically in Seattle? Like what do you um, go to like community boards or do you have classes, seminars? I'm a huge advocate of being involved in youth programs. I've been on the board of uh, Treehouse for Foster Kids for years, and um, I host an annual holiday drive. And um, just being a part and bridging that community and that gap. I teach the the kids uh, at a homeless school how to play tennis, you know, and it's giving them the exposure and just 
paying it forward and giving back. And I always say, you know, I've been on the board of Mopop Music of Popular Culture for nine years. And through meeting people and bringing people as part of this community, last week we had an event called No Child Sleeps Outside through our Mary's Place Foundation. And it's just being engaged and being involved and educating people and letting them see, you know, as we lift each other up, we're lifting all of ourselves up. And it's, it's, I, I, I just, I cannot express how important it is to just reach out. There's so many organizations and every city has them. So it's just get involved, get involved. I mm. love that. Getting involved in ways that aren't like just, just you know, teaching someone tennis. Yeah. You never know the conversations you're going to have. That's so true. I never think about that. It's not just like, oh, it's a class. It's also, like, yeah, we can make this fun. Oh, my goodness. The relationships that I've made through the philanthropic and charity work here, I mean, it's just they, they really have become my tribe. And uh, we just support each other and we have fun. And I mean, that's why I say if people are looking for partners, join organizations. Yes. You know, there there are people that will there might be someone that's got the finances that doesn't want to have the headache of management but they want to invest in real estate and be a part of the equity growth. I've been watching online the mortgage guy and earn your leisure. They have a lot of now like young online. There's passive learning that you can get from like the, from the internet, like YouTube. But I often wonder like <laughs> what we've been seeing lately with DJ. I think it was a DJ envy uh, from the breakfast club. There was like some scams going on. There must be like, especially after the pandemic and, there must have been a lot of scams that are like sort of mixed in with good information. It's not terrible. Absolutely. I mean, we have been doing this so long. I mean, I'm proud because most family businesses don't survive the second generation, only 12% to the third. So we've been at this for years. And so when I look at our residents, they become family. I mean, I've had people living in our buildings 10, 20, even as long as 50 years. And so we dealt during the pandemic with everybody on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, but there were a lot of bad actors. There were people that it was like, oh, this is uh, Christmas for criminals, and I don't have to. And so those were the frustrating cases because you look and it's like, if you're down and out, you know, we want to support all, we didn't know what was going to happen during the pandemic. It was pandemonium. So you wanted to help, but I've got a lot of housing provider friends who are getting out of the business because they, they can't afford it. They, I have one, a guy moved in and it's a horrible situation. He moved in and he has not paid a dime in rent since last March. We have a winter moratorium a bit on evictions in Seattle. He's lived in the place since last March and was leasing out the basement of this guy's house on Airbnb. So not only is he not paying the, the landowner. He's making income. He's making money. And those kind of situations just infuriate me because it's just, I'm like any service that you go for, if I come to your table for lunch, I'm not going to get up to say, thank you. I'm going to pay for the food. So landlords do, they get a, a, a real hard um, uh, title, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, but we, we, we've got obligations. We've got mortgage, utilities, maintenance, everything to pay. And it's like, 
know, we're trying to provide a service. It's so fascinating because not until I wanted to own a home and I, I feel like there's a comedian, Ryan Hamilton, who does a great joke about like how if you didn't buy a home in 2020, that's it. It's a wrap. <laughs> because of the interest rates are so high. It's like, forget it right now, you know, but you look at when you start thinking about owning, you do have more empathy for the landlord in that sense, because you're like, oh, that's right. They want to make money too. These are, you know, possibly this is a black owned family. You don't want to screw over that legacy. And so, and, or generational wealth. And so- it's it funny hard. You don't think about it until you want to own. No, in New York City, yeah. we're all renting. So we the the idea of ownership seems so far, far away right now that it's just like all we do is complain about the landlord. Yeah. No, but I I also I was looking into like possibly buying a place and when I saw all the taxes and the mortgage, like it came up to like more than what I'm paying in rent. Uh, with, when I added all everything up together and I was like, because I was thinking about maybe I could just rent it out as well then like get a smaller place. And I was like, no, I would not make any money if I rented it out or very minimal amounts of money. And I was like, oh, this is not a good idea. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I'm just saying like if I was a landlord, yeah, it, it would. it's not like I'm just minting it at all. In uh, this market, so, you have to be creative. It's in New York. Know? There is, I mean, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, I mean, my parents were getting loans in the 20, 22% interest rate. And I mean, that's when you just have to pivot and, and get creative. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, one of, one of my, like I said, my daddy was from Detroit and he was a wild one. And one of my favorite uh, daddy stories, because he knew how to get creative, is my mama had this white Cadillac and she loved this Cadillac. She swore that it was the early version of GPS. She would get in this car and <laughs> store anywhere she wanted to go and she went outside one day and her car was missing and she looks at my father his name was Gerald and she goes Gerald where's where's my white broom had the white matching white wall tires and everything and daddy flags her off and he says oh I traded it for that view house in in Leshi which is a real prominent nice neighborhood overlooking Lake Washington and my mother just had an absolute fit. She's like, how dare you? And he goes, oh, the brother thought you made a good deal because the car could move, but the house couldn't. And you know, it was that, of course, I mean, what's that Cadillac worth now? Or nothing. And we ended up selling the house a few years yeah. ago. I mean, it just, it's crazy when you think about the numbers and what people value. But there's always opportunities. You just have to get out there and look. And I don't care what the interest rates are or what, there's, there's opportunities to be made. Yeah, it's just that got to do the homework. Got to do the research. What are Ugh, the values stinking. as you brought up? What are the values and principles that have guided your family business? And how can, how can you pass them on to the next generation? So if I can toot my own horn a second, I've got a book coming out by Wiley next year. And oh, it's cool. Get Up and Get On It, A Black Entrepreneur's Lessons on Creating Legacy and Wealth. And in the book, I just share our story. I mean, and there were some some real hard lean days. Of, it was a splurge if we had lean cuisine over Swanson's. But the point is, is that you just have to stick through it. You just, you, you, you don't give in. And it's, it's, it's that every day getting up and getting on it. That's my real lesson. Stick to it. Because you do, I saw on your Instagram, you were talking about like failure, and you were talking about your husband and the, I just, I had just seen it and I loved it. 
Hold on. I have to pull it up because it was so good. Uh, yes, here. My husband is an accomplished CEO, attorney, and entrepreneur who often calls me an asshole. <laughs> What's it? <laughs> because I ask his opinion and then proceed as my gut tells me. I tell him tongue in cheek when he says I can't. The only tea I want is in hot water with lemon and honey. <laughs> I love that. I genuinely respect and value his insights. However, I believe if I fail, I fail forward. I take my losses as lessons on my next game. And then you were talking about last night sitting in town listening to BET co-founder and the first black female billionaire, Sheila Johnson, share her Love new it. book, uh, Walk Through Fire, A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Triumph. And um, you were reminded of the importance of going with your instinct. So tell me a little bit more about, because I love that because, uh, you know, we're comedians. We go through failure uh, yeah. weekly <laughs> on stage. Yeah, daily. <laughs> well, I think fear is universal, as we all know. And I mean, it's like, for me, fear fuels me. And yeah. I mean, it's cliche and corny, but I'm like, if you take words and break them down, if you remove the E from fear, you're going far. If you don't and you just stay comfortable, yes. yes. So I, I live on fear. I'm just like every day I get up and I'm like, what can I do to challenge myself? If I put myself out of my comfort zone, then I know I'm winning. And it, that's just that's just it. I think too many people stay um, and they refuse. It, it's that quote of, do work today like few will so you can live tomorrow like few can. And as a as an African-American woman, I've been a single mom. I have been, I just, I know what it takes. And I'm not afraid of the grit, the grind, and what it takes to make it happen. I joke with my husband and I'm like, because uh, we've only been married two years. And I'm like, if you get IBS, irritable bill syndrome, I'm paying for it myself. <laughs> All these terms. <laughs> Asshole, IBS. I love this. I love all this terminology. I just know what I have to do to take care of Dana, with him or without him, and that's that's the that's the key. I think you just you depend on yourself. Anything else that comes in is a blessing, but if you know that you've got your own back, you know that's the that's the good thing. Go Sorry, Maria, I have a question because I want to ask Dana. Like, I well, one hundred percent. That's my motto in life. In terms of like, when I get too comfortable, I I, I know that the success or whatever I'm looking for is beyond my comfort zone. And I'm always trying to go beyond my comfort zone, always trying to be fearless. I love when my back is up against the wall because that's when I become innovative and that's when I push myself. But I want to ask you, when, when we talk about generating like um, wealth, uh, generational wealth, do you think sometimes like having, I, I don't know if this is true, but do you think that it hinders someone's ability? Like when you have like money, and you know you have the security of your parents' money or family money. Do you think that stops someone from pushing themselves further? Do you think that totally could stop someone? Great question, Kanise. Yeah. My children are not trust fund babies. I mean, literally, before we got on this call this morning, my son and I were already out moving somebody in an apartment. They know every day, just like I was raised with the get up and get on it, they got to check on the properties. If they see trash, they got to get out mm -hmm. of the car, pick it up. And, and I've raised them with the understanding that this is how we eat. And they just, it's 
it's it's it's a family affair. And I'm like, um, we're all in this together. My mother is 91 years old, and she still gets up and gets on it every day. So mm-hmm. that that's okay. the importance. It's it's the lessons that are instilled in nobody sitting on their laurels. It, my family every morning at seven o'clock, it's a family phone call, and it's like, what do we have going on today? And we work hard, we play hard, we love hard. And it's it's really a beautiful thing. I mean, there's nobody else that I would want to work this hard for. And so when we talk about legacy, because I, I could have easily taken what my parents transferred to me, sold it and said, oh, it's been a good life. But for me, it's important to say this is planting the tree so that my children and their children and this will continue. And that's what I talk about legacy. And it's not just about financial monetary, but it's wealth of mind, it's wealth of family, it's wealth of mm. what it means to to live. Love that because I was reading here that um, the Franks still consider themselves a mom and pop Absolutely. business because as a family they directly manage as much of the business as they can, hands on. It's from the two a.m. phone calls to bookkeeping to simple maintenance requests. They strive to help each resident living in their properties to the best of their ability, which in New York City, I don't know, mom and pop does not. (laughs) I mean, my landlord knows me because I've been here for over, I've been here way too long, 20 something years. Like I've been in this apartment. Yeah. New York City is so hard. Like to for me to move, like when I first moved here, I did not stay in the apartment because I wasn't used to like this living because I'm from Chicago. I was used to suburban life. So I'm part of the gentrifier too. Yeah. <laughs> but as I was learning and when I broke up with my boyfriend and then I committed to living in my apartment, I was like just seeing all of the issues. And then I saw the the building get turned over to like a corporation um, but I and then I trying to find out who the landlord is. We have one of the articles about that. And they know me. <laughs> They're like, they should actually pay me because you're talking about get creative. I feel like they should pay me because I like make sure this building is maintained all the time. Like when all the tenants now, like the new ones that come in they don't know anything and then they realize oh she's the one who knows everything they like come to me if they have issues I get calls they're like Marina it's cold Marina the water's cold like is this really what's happened like what can I do like and I have like there's a couple of us that like we're gonna start having meetings to just discuss like how we can live better because they're not really hands on is it a corporation that owns your building It is. It is now. And like the article that I have, I'll jump right into that uh, article about how they do that. Hidden landlords, specifically in New York, woes soar as property owners hide their identities. An LLC can offer tax breaks, the protection, I don't know if that's the same thing, the protection of the owner's personal assets from creditors and lawsuits, and importantly, anonymity from tenants or others, creating one is a relatively easy process. In New York State, the application requires a unique business name, relatively minimal paperwork, and a $200 fee sent to Albany. So what's happening is um, the effect of this may be the inability for tenants to lodge complaints. 
Yeah. And then elders, the first thing they do do with elders is they say that this is no longer rent stabilized. They're lying. And you have so many days to leave or take the buyout. So I guess when you hear this in New York, like, and you're in Seattle, like, have you ever, because I know you have expanded outside of Seattle, but to other areas, but have you ever considered New York <laughs> in comparison? Does New York sound like insane to you as far as a place to own property? It's a different bear. There's no question. I mean, I was in New York a couple week, weeks ago. I came for Damon John's Black Entrepreneur's Day. And I mean, everything. I look at New York and Seattle is pretty expensive to live in as well. But um, it, it's, it's tough. And I, I was trying to figure out programs like there's a program called Divi Homes where uh, you can do a, a rental lease with option and then they help you buy into the home and you know there's different uh, programs one of the speakers had just purchased her first home there but I, I know how t difficult it is and I mean I'm looking at areas like Brooklyn and I have friends that live in these different areas and the prices are astronomical and I think the hardship Seattle's going through a lot of changes and um, there, our city council was really making us housing providers operate with our hands cuffed. I mean, the laws like right now, a law was just recently passed. We can only charge $10 for a late fee. It costs more to get a cup of coffee. So it's not incentivizing people to pay on time. Right. And mm. so I think the, the hardest part is that when you're forcing, because the, the housing providers are getting fed up and then that forces the small mom and pop like us out. And then that brings in the corporations. They don't care. I mean, honestly, they don't care. And that's, that's the hard part. I mean, our proudest moment is when we can look at a long-term resident, they've raised their kid, the kid's gone off to college and they've saved enough to get into their home and buy a home. Yeah. That's, that's the end game for everybody. And it's oh. tough, but you, you should be compensated, Marina. I mean, seriously, because you are uh, managing that building. Better than, I mean, the super always comes to me. <laughs> he always brings, he knows that I know everything that's going on. And I just, I was like, do I have this conversation with the landlord? Do I just initiate that conversation and go, hey, listen, you know, I've been here for a long time. You know, I look out for the building more so than anybody. What yeah. can I do? You want to take some money off my, I mean, my rent is already low, but it's like, what, what yeah. They should definitely compensate you. Absolutely. I mean, I've got people that, you know, one resident, you know, she's a single mom and she struggles. So I'm like, I keep her rent markedly below rent. And I'm like, okay, just pick up around the building. If you see something, anything, it's all worth bartering for. But again, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I would ask for sure. Oh yeah. Cause I, like I get upset when a light bulb is taken out of like, <laughs> In the hallway, I don't know who did this, but someone took a light bulb out of like our lamps so that they could have a light bulb. I was like, why? And then the one guy who the um, he's a super. We have several. There's that's the other shady thing. It's like you have a super and then you have like someone that's not like that's new and then they start doing weird stuff. So he would just like mop the floors he would leave the floors wet on every floor and then go back up to re and I go, these are, there are people who could fall really injure themselves. You cannot do that. You can't leave four flights. There's five flights. You can't like, yeah. you can't do that. <laughs> you have 
this conversation with Pepito. Pepito. All the time. And I feel bad because I'm like, I know Pepito is probably not getting paid. I know Pepito is under wage. I know he's probably an immigrant who's like, you know, they're hiding whatever his status. So I'm always very careful in the way that I address Pepito. (laughs) But I always have to say, man, you can't do this. People will fall. They will injure themselves. It's really important that you not leave each floor. It's just wet. And then you go back up to mop you can't do that, man. Interesting system. <laughs> and so, I and then you've to- got the the other residents. I mean, it sounds like your building is you've been there long enough, but you just you do you get crazy people that live in next to you. I mean, we had one situation. I don't know how much time we have, but we had one <laughs> where we we ran into this this guy. He was working for Microsoft, and um, he and his wife. She was at Amazon, you know. Pacific Northwest, we've got all these great companies. We do a thorough background check before we move people in and they pass with flying colors. Shortly after he moved in, we noticed that the hallways were being saturated with urine and we don't allow dogs. Um, And it's like cats are okay in the building, but this would have to be a lion. I mean, and tenants were calling, complaining every day that the stairwell just smelled like pee. We couldn't catch anybody doing this. So we finally put in a hidden camera and Mr. Microsoft MBA comes down at like six o'clock in the morning and he drops his backpack. He looks around, drops his pants. And I mean, he sprays like a shower, a, a, a fire hose. What? I the walls everywhere, saturates it. So me and my mother wait for him after work. And he comes marching in from Microsoft and we're like, um, we have an issue. You've been peeing in our hallway. First, he denies it. So I'm like exhibit A. I pull out the camera and um, he finally admits that he's got a condition where he enjoys the smell of his urine. And he had recently married this new woman from Amazon and he could no longer sleep with his saturated underwear. I hope I'm not giving too much information. <gasps> no, this is great. <laughs> this is great. Jesus. I'm like, what? <laughs> so he would spray the halls every morning and, you know, I'm sitting here trying to reason. And my little, at the time, like 85-year-old mother is standing behind me. And all I see is her orange flip fingernails come out. She's like, when can you get that out? You know, literally the next day he was gone. But, I mean, that's the thing is that you're dealing with people. Jesus. And some people are just crazy. And they got issues that you just don't even know exist. So That is the that is crazy thing I've ever heard. Wait, so... Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm getting into all the details, but he would sleep with saturated underwear and he couldn't do that anymore. Because he got in the hallway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because his wife didn't know. And so he would come down and hit our hallways every morning. And yeah, I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, you think you know someone. Yeah. 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 Like normal job, background check. (laughs) I know that, like, mine. My name. This one. Uh, <laughs> this has turned into a neighbor story. <laughs> they have, a, I know they're doing a dog sitting service, right? And I, they're trying to hide it. But it's oh. like, that's the nightmare is that I love animals. I love, there's my one neighbor who has dogs. I love her dogs. But a dog sitting service in New York City, and they're trying to hide it, and they're doing it in a rental. And I'm trying to, it's like me. I'm like, like part-time comic, (laughs) part-time, like 
Karen snooping <laughs> and trying to find out this doggy daycare that's going on. I know the la- landlord does not understand. I told him, I said, I know they're, they're different dogs. And yeah. I see them with big boxes of food. Oh. And I'm like, is this legal? I was like, this is insanity to me. I was like, so like, I know everyone's being tortured by the dogs when they are here. Yeah. But yeah. I try to be as helpful. I, I, I used to just like go on full panic shout mode. Now I just kind of gradually go like, how can I make it just better for everyone? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely getting paid. Like you run this building. How many people are in your community? How many live there? How many yeah. units? I think it's like 24 units. Uh, okay. But I could be wrong. I think so. I'm always looking at the units. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> excited to see where the complaints are coming in. And I, you know, that's the thing about this. There are ways they're saying like, you won't know who the landlord is, but there are ways in New York to find out who owns your property. Yeah. They do hide. But right. um, if you go to the farmer's market, like I do, they mm. have all the time at these community functions, just like you were saying, if you go to the, a lot of the functions in the community, you'll find out how to get that information because those organizations often attend your farmer's markets, your community board meetings. So I found out who owned it and I was like, okay, okay, Michael, <laughs> you can pretend if you want to, but I know it's you. Hey, Kenise, are you in a large building there as well? No, I actually live in a, I'm in Ridgewood in Brooklyn and I live in a a four bed, like, I don't know what they're called, but it's four apartments. Nice. In like a, in a standalone, like, I don't, yeah. So I, yeah, I know my landlord, he's, he owns all the four like places and he's very, he's so sweet. And every time I need something, he gets it done. And I've told her that's not the experience a lot of people have in New York. So touch wood. I'm very grateful (laughs) that I found someone. But did I, can I just ask you, sorry, I'm so fascinated because, um, I just want to ask you, you said like, that's the goal to, or is the goal to own property? I was literally just having this conversation with my dad in the car when I was like, I feel like our generation can't afford to buy property. And so it's sometimes, it's, and when I was telling you about looking to buy and I was like, the taxes will just eat me up. Is it, is that the goal to buy property or does it make sense to continue renting? I think there's always time to rent, but I okay. think I look at how appreciation and all of the benefits, I mean, that's where most people make their wealth, long-term wealth. And um, if it's not in New York, because I know New York is very expensive, look in another location. Um, You know, because as I said earlier, I really genuinely believe that cash erodes, equity grows. And once you own the property, you can manipulate it. You can come back. You can refinance it. You can sell it. If you have children, you can leave it for the next generation. Yeah. It it really is a great tool. And time and time again, I mean, this is Noop Dog said it. He said, you know, you want to own real estate. If you don't own real estate at the end of the game, it's it's tough. Where is it that you can own real estate, but you don't own the land? Where is that? I forget. Um, you mean like in co-ops and, uh, yeah. 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 There was somewhere where I, they were like, yeah, you can own it. You can own the house, but the land, you don't own the land. Inside, yeah. You, you're I'm, out. I'm yeah. Like, For, is that in South Africa? I know in, Mo- in Mumbai, it's like that in some areas, 
because it's like leased land and then they've built buildings on it or houses on it and you don't own the land and when the lease gets over they could like your land could go so i know wow. in india we were looking to buy and again we didn't buy it because i was like oh this land doesn't you don't get the land you only get the house on top of the land wow. and that's scary the yeah thing i heard about is like in new york you the air above the, uh, like the air above a, a property you own, you could not like you don't own it. I never heard of that. Oh. I was like, that's insanity. So like in New York, you could own like a space, but you don't own the air above it. So someone can actually build above you and around you. Huh. I really suggest a lot of times people read like I'm such an avid reader. Bar- Barbara Corcoran's book on how you know yeah. she over New York and all she did and creating it there, starting from nothing. I mean, there's so many examples. It's good, good knowledge. Yeah, I'm really at the beginning of it. I'm, during the pandemic, that's all we all were doing was looking at property because we wanted to get out of our space, especially in New York. I was so trapped in my apartment. I really was losing my mind. I look back now and I go, oh, I was insane. But I was like just looking at places in like um, Michigan City, Indiana, yes which was more affordable for me. However, this was my issue. I was like, it's not in New York. So I had to figure out like, if I get a property somewhere else, they're going to question whether it's my home home, if I'm going to be a part of that community. Like, how does someone deal with that? Like, how do you get a... Being an absentee owner is not easy. I mean, you know, I would definitely suggest if you've got family there or somebody that can do drive-bys and check on it for you. Mm. Um, but uh, it is doable. I mean, I've got I've got property out of state of Washington and in Arizona and in Nashville and different places where I'm not always there. Um, but it is doable. Yeah, that's the part. I I noticed that my friends who did have their homes in in Michigan City, but they don't live in Chicago. They had cameras and stuff and they were manic, but then they have to deal with people again. And that was the part I was like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, because they were showing the the one lady said there was supposed to be two people staying at the property. And she saw a whole sorority list of girls walking into the house. She's like she was counting. Them. She goes, there's one, two, three. Look at that. Four, five. I was like, I can't I can't do that. <laughs> I just I just know myself. I was like, I Ooh, like I know it'd be good for, like you said, like generational wealth, like refine, you know, equity. So I just went into the stock. Well, the way I say it is this, it's, <laughs> it's creating annuity income. And I always say as a housing provider, there's no other business I know of where strangers put money in your bank account every month. Yeah. Income. So I just want to be like, genuinely, I'm feeling very inspired because I have been like thinking about, I, I, I have this mindset where I'm just trying to make money. I feel like the only way I'm going to make my money is by earning money from my services, like in comedy. Maybe I get a big deal with some brand deal or a movie or a, a tour or, and that's like, that's the only way I think about making money or creating wealth is just by providing my service and getting paid for it. And I really, I feel like I just never been taught even stock markets of just how to invest my money and make my money work for me in other ways. The only way I think about money is like do my job, get money. Yeah. Um, and I would, and I'm just, thank you. Sorry, just talking to you is really, I just feel a little bit like. Thank you. Seriously. Yeah, no, I want to look into this. Um, 
I, maybe I can do it. And again, uh-huh. not only not only think about property as like a home to live in, but like you said, even just in, as an investment. Um, I'm to talk to you offline, and yeah, I'll thank you. Through. Absolutely. Thank and you, Dana. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should. Yes. We'll skip to some more of these uh, topics. The Justice Department reached a significant milestone in combating redlining initiative after securing over 107 million in relief for communities of color nationwide. Um, lending discrimination by banks, um, mortgage lending businesses, as part of the. 107 million. The department also announced a 9 million agreement with Ameris Bank to resolve allegations that Ameris engaged in a pattern of practice of redlining predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhoods. This was in Jacksonville, Florida. Redlining is an illegal practice, if you didn't know, in which lenders avoid providing credit services to individuals living in or seeking to live in communities of color because of the race, color, or national origin of the residents in those communities. Now, my question is this, how important is this with the election coming up? It's huge, and it has to be addressed. Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase committed $30 billion to bridge the racial wealth financial gap. And so what I'm saying is, People have to be aware, just like City National and all these banks that you're talking about, that these programs now exist and how to access the money. And Biden and whoever is going to be running this country has to make sure that these banks are held accountable and start sharing and spreading the wealth. And that's why I say with this election coming up, because I hear a lot of voters going towards Trump. Uh, black voters, actually. And they go, I can't vote for Biden and anymore because he's done such a disservice to the black community still. Uh, even now, I'm hearing this conversation. So this is why I look at these stories and I go, well, in 2024, these are, these are, um, these are still pending, some of these cases. So depending on who's in office, that could all go away. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's got to be made a priority. I I tell people constantly how important it is to vote, to understand what is at risk and what's at stake and to make your vote count. Because um, these laws, they come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, because it says under the proposed consent order, which is subject to court approval. Ameris Bank will invest $9 million to increase credit opportunities for communities of color in Jacksonville. This is in Jacksonville. Now, what's going on in Seattle? Because my uh, young assistant put in King County may consider reparations for past housing discrimination. This article was written by Alexandra Yoon Hendricks that black households in King County alone lost an estimated cumulative sum of $5.4 billion to $15.8 billion in intergenerational wealth, according to the consulting firm Eco Northwest, which conducted the study. Disparities in home ownership persist, and about 33% of black households across the state have zero net worth, compared with about 12% of white households. Seattle has such a very small black community. I mean, I think we're at like 6%. And 
I have grown up here my entire life, and so I have witnessed the change. I mean, the, the central district where I live now, where my parents first started investing in 1950, used to be all black and brown. And now it's pretty much all transitioned with gentrification to white neighborhoods. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, the black families and the black businesses are all being pushed out further south. And um, these um, these black uh, elderly grandmothers who've owned these homes since the 50s are now, the prices are high, so they're selling out. And instead of their children taking over, they're just selling and moving on. So it's it's fascinating to me when I, I thank you for sharing that article that King County is considering this because uh, this is this is my life. This is where I lived. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, literally carrying picket signs on banks to demand funding. I mean, we were constantly told no until my father made such a, a ruckus that, you know, he'd break them. I mean, the signs, you know, unfair beware, down with white racism, anything to expose the injustice of not allowing financing in this community. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane when you think about it. In Harlem, what we're dealing with is affordable housing that is actually meeting the income of the people who live here. So that's what's happening is like they'll call it a it's it's affordable, but it's not Uh, the average rate is now over one hundred thousand dollars. And they call that affordable. That's affordable. I could go on. I mean, I get so angry because I would go we had we just lost our senator, Christian Jordan, but we gained someone new. He's from part of the Central Park Five. This is a great story, but I want to see what he does. Yes, but Christian Jordan was the one who shined a light on a lot of those uh, properties that were going up that were not affordable for, and they would claim that they had a certain number of apartments that were affordable. But when you when you really looked at the math and when you really looked deep into it, no, it was very shady. And then they would say, "Well, we put a black museum inside." <laughs> Uh, like, oh, we'll show that you used to be here <laughs> in the building. You know, there's just all kinds of shadiness. And then the way they reported in the news, I was because I was so uh, involved in uh, paying attention to what was going on. I watched how the no- news reported it and they only call it affordable housing. They never mentioned that what was affordable was not affordable for those who lived here. So it pushed a lot, a lot of tenants in New York City and Brooklyn and in Harlem that are black out of this community. Yeah, so sad. So it's happening at a high rate. So I guess I I do want to ask you about some a little bit more fun I question about what you talk about, which I'm going through currently is menopause. Oh. <laughs> Fun topic, right? Jeez, that was a I know what a switch off. What a switch! I just, I just to switch to something a little bit more uh, oh, not it. fun, but funny. Um, I, but often it's funny because I'll bring it up on stage and I'll say, "There's nothing that dries up a room like menopause." But, yeah. Uh, so tell me, Dana. Like you talk about it often, right? You're you have a journal about yes. menopause. So my sister lives in Germany and she has been there for, oh my God, way more years than she lived in the States. And uh, 
So we, we created this blog a year, 15 years ago called Menopause Barbies. And at the time I thought, oh, this is so fun because I wasn't near menopause, but I was getting older and I was like, we're getting older, but we're still dolls. And I saw, I saw the Barbie movie and I'm just like, oh, hell no, this is, they need to have a menopause Barbie. I thought the same. You know, I mean, it's just the reality if we're fortunate enough, it's just a stage of our life that we're going to go through. And it's like, how do we address these changes? You know, you're sitting there, I'm sure when you're on stage and then hot flashes hit, it's just like, you, you can't escape it. So I'm like, it's something that we need to talk about. I was on a panel recently where you know, we talked about hormone replacement therapy and just options that are really available to help bring back the sanity because it is a, a mental process. I mean, I remember my first hot flash and I thought I was going to be like my mom. My mom sailed through and she really didn't have any symptoms. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to be that fortunate. And my husband and I were sitting in the airport. We were heading to Portugal and all of a sudden I, it was right after uh, the pandemic. And I just felt this wave of heat just embrace me. And I took a seat and I said, oh my God, I think I've got COVID. And he's like, we're, we're getting out of here. Don't even talk crazy. And um, I was so I was soaking wet and I was so miserable. And I thought, this is a cruel joke. This cannot be. I mean, menopause was the furthest thing from my head. And um, I came back and I talked to my doctor and um, honestly speaking, just looked at some alternatives of what I could take. They put me on one pill called venlafaxin, which is an antipsychotic. And that made me absolutely crazy. I mean, when I talk about an out-of-body experience and um, I just kept playing around. I mean, I tried everything from black seed oil. I mean, I was in the woo-woo, the hypnotic. I mean, I would try anything. And I just think that women need to take a serious look at hormone replacement therapy and figure out what we can do to restore our, um, our, 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 our feeling good. You, know, you want to feel good. Yeah. I, uh, Kenise, have you... You're not going through. You're young. You don't. You, I well, I just turned forty uh, um, like two weeks ago, and it was the funniest thing. The day I turned forty, I got I started getting Instagram ads for menopausal medicine. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> so it's starting young. on on the day of my birthday, I was like, "What just happened?" <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently, yeah, I I also have one ovary and um, and lesser egg, so there is a chance I'm going to hit be, become perimenopausal sooner than later. Um, which is fine. You had children, Kenise? No, I've not had children. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does does that increase the time or decrease? Yeah. I believe you can come sooner. sooner. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And and then I, then I I started, I don't know if this is to do with menopause, but I, are night sweats a thing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Well then I think. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's when I look back, I didn't know that's where it was starting. I remember being in Australia in a room that had like two beds. I was already disoriented because of the time change. And I completely soaked through the one bed, but it was two beds in there. So I went to the other bed. It was a beautiful thing for a woman going through perimenopause. Uh, to have another bed that you could just switch off to. Oh my God. I was like, if I could to this day have like, like I don't, I have a studio apart, but I, if I could have two beds where I could just be like, all right, I'm done with you. But that is the big, that was the beginning of it. Cause no one ever talks about menopause. And you know, it's like, I find like our gener, my generation, like I'm fit in my fifties. I know I look amazing, but, um, 
<laughs> but, in, you know, I feel like there's more women in my generation talking about menopause than there has ever been. There's more celebrities talking about it because I don't I don't remember my mom's generation. It's talking taboo. about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. Also, so much also so much shame around it, like that you've lost you. You're losing your femininity or you're losing your. I don't know, you, the reason you're on this earth, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Your I know, like, yeah, as a woman your purpose, your purpose as a woman, like. Which they, is more than that. But, yeah. but that's why it's a whole lifestyle. I mean, you have to have time for working out. You have to have time for mm-hmm. nurturing and giving back to yourself. I mean, it is the most important time because you, I can personally attest I really was losing it yeah you lose it that's the thing I say on stage I go listen I can lose it at any moment do not mess with me like it's like you think you know I used to think menopause was like oh good the period is over but not for me it was like also I had like I was there was a point when I remember my rage was uncontrollable in certain moments and I was like I could die out here I'm like insane like, I, I remember yelling at a woman about asking me for ID for cold medicine. I go, oh, do I need ID for toilet paper? Like, I was just like, I, I lost. I was like, what? I couldn't reel it back yeah. in. And that was menopause. That's that's the pair. That's the hormonal shifts. And plus, I had I did have I'm in my fourth year of surviving breast cancer, Dana, just so you know. So I started really when I was like 47 that's when it all shifted for me because you go through all the treatment and stuff. And so everything starts to happen. You, you know, there are women who have lupus. It could start in your thirties, but we really need to talk about it because like this article is saying like women in the workplace, right? Miranda Bryan, 57 year old from St. Paul, Minnesota found she began to struggle at work and only became more exaggerated with her when her Institute went virtual. She began to experience anxiety, so she took a month-long medical leave. When she returned, the <sighs> boss fired her. And yeah, in retrospect, Bryant realizes her mental health symptoms largely largely resulted from perimenopause. At the same time, I, I wasn't connecting the dots to my shifting hormones. She saw the link clearly only after other perimenopause symptoms appeared, including insomnia, joint pain headaches and once her period stopped altogether. So these are things that you don't even realize. People just think, you know, night sweats, hot flashes, mood, but there's joint pain, headaches, heart palpitations. Also can lead to heart attacks. If you're not, you got to really pay attention. And here's a fun one. Belly fat. <laughs> Leave us alone. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, that's it. You got to fight it. I mean, it's so hard. I, uh, I used to tease my daughter, uh, because she's 22 now. And I would say, you know, my menopause trumps your puberty. Get over yourself. You know, I, I know what you're going through, but mine is on fire. Um, and I just, I think that that's, the most important thing is that it's not, we're not dealing with the same body that we had. I mean, I look at my daughter at 22, she can eat whatever she wants. <laughs> you know, I, I can't do that. The carbs are going to stick, you know, and it's just, it's a matter of, um, 
accepting the change and saying, okay, that, that old adage, if you're going through hell, keep on going. What are you going to do to, to combat it? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. What do you do? I work out every day. I figure out some sort of way to work out, um, whether I'm playing tennis or I'm on the treadmill or I had an incident last summer where I was having cholesterol build up in my heart. And I'm like, I'm not the coronary artery child for heart disease. My, uh, Heart disease runs in my family, but um, I haven't eaten red meat in 10 years. I uh, naturally don't like cheese and dairy. I mean, I just everything. But again, it's a part of aging. And the doctor just said, you do everything right, but you can't get away from your genes. So you just have to just be aware and, and fight it. And I just, I really do. I, I, it sounds so cliche, but I truly wake up every day with a focus of what am I going to live, love, and look forward to? And I take time for Dana. I mean, if it's listening to a book on tape, if it's going for a walk by myself, whatever it is, I just, I get myself grounded. Um, I love watching movies, Netflix documentary. I love watching YouTube perform. <laughs> Comedy makes me laugh. I mean, just, and, and so just, just taking those moments for me time. It's so important. I think that also, oh, that's wow. the blessing of age, actually, is that how you have this awareness that you didn't have. I didn't have an awareness of how to take time for myself in my 20s, 30s, mm. or four, I would say maybe late 40s. I started to. But yeah. now I make sure. And I'm like, sure the cancer helped you also recognize how important it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I used to walk from the, um, I did radiation treatment because I did catch it somewhat early. So I was stage okay. 1A, HER2 negative. And I used to walk from Harlem to Columbia Hospital and I choose a hospital that I could walk to. And it was around this, like in October, for the whole month of October, I did radiation treatment every single day except for the weekends, they take off on the weekends. And then, so, but the thing that I did for myself was I made sure, cause it's in Harlem is a real estate, by the way, in Harlem is beautiful. Mm. I mean, some of the most beautiful architecture in the world, but walking through was part of that ther- self therapy for me. It gave me that sort of awareness, like, okay, I'm going through probably one of the toughest times of my life. I need something that's going to fill me up. Just walking from treatment, even though I was tired, it was still, it gave me something like to look forward to just the fall leaves, all that. I love, I love the foliage, yeah. I'm a foliage girl. No, I have, I'm at the age where so many of my closest, closest circle has gone through it. And, and just, you know, that to me is when you just, you know, my friendships are everything. I mean, the, the community of having my sisterhood that you need that. that so you do a lot of philanthropy a word I, I'm always having a hard time saying. Um, can you tell us about some of the philanthropy that you do? My engagement with Treehouse for Foster Kids happened when Marta Della Gasparina, she is, was from the Oregon, Washington area. She was the co-founder of Tommy Bahama. She called me one day and we were working on a guild together for Children's Hospital. And she said, I want you to come to this luncheon with me for kids in foster care. And we went to this luncheon and I I saw this young 14 year old boy stand up and explain how on the first day of school at 14, so he must have been like ninth grade, the only thing he could wear on the first day of school was his sister's pink stirrup pants and how he was ridiculed, but that was the only clothes that he had. 
And I just remember looking at that kid and just saying, you know, I, I had a son at the time who was much younger. And I just thought, I cannot imagine a little boy having to go and face his peers in pink stirrups. I mean, the ridicule must have been just horrible. And so that's how I really got involved in uh, the foster care. And I was raised um, in a community where we had this woman, her name was Grandma LMA. Grandma LMA used to take in anybody's child, you know, if their mother was on drugs, if their father was in jail, you know, and these kids would become my cousins. And my mother, you know, when she was working, would drop me off over at Grandma LMA's house and Danny, Pam, Joanne, they all became my cousins. And watching these kids who didn't have traditional parents, I recognized the impact that Grandma LMA had on changing their lives. And you know, time-wise, I knew I didn't have time to adopt. So that was my way of giving back. So foster kids, children, any children organization is my hugest commitment because I'm like, children didn't ask to come here. How can we help change the narrative? And so that that's my passion. I love music. Music makes me happy. So I got involved with our Museum of Popular Culture nine years ago. And a lot of that work we do is helping foster music growth in young kids. Macklemore has supported us and, you know, a lot of the Seattle music scene. Last week, we honored Sir Mix-a-Lot with, um, yeah, with the Hip Hop Award. And, you know, so it's just anything. And again, as I said earlier in our conversation, I've gotten so much back from the people that I meet in these charitables and it just feels good to do good. And I'm on way too many boards. I'm like butter spread too thin, but I would trade it because I, I love it. I'm, I'm a member of the International Women's Forum, the Sunset Club, the you name it. I'm a, I'm a club girl. I go, I learn, I talk, I engage and I give back. And it's, it's wonderful. That is wonderful. And you're so yeah, right. Wow. Does, do you do anything like that, Kanise? No, but I, I've been. I've. Been, <laughs> the what you uh, yeah, I was like, oh. uh, I did work at and when I was in India, I was an NGO that worked underprivileged children with aftercare school. But I was very curious about because I've always wanted to adopt, and I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like I could do the single mom thing in New York. But what is? How do you? I was. I'm just curious. How would you foster children? Is that? Is that, is that a, quite a laborious process or? You mean taking in a foster child? Yeah, taking in foster children. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there are temporary situations where kids just going through transition till they get back to their birth yeah. parent. Um, but there's all different kinds of um, programs that are available. And you can also just do like after school tutoring. Um, whatever skill that you have. I mean, maybe you teach these kids a a comedy course. And I mean, it's, um, there's so many different ways through your boys and girls club or girl scouts of, um, your region, you know, always looking for advocates. Okay. I'll tell you what I do. Yeah. What do you do? I always like to make it about me. No, but I just did this last week and I, I'm, you know what? It's like, It's amazing. Like comedy, what we do can be so up and down and challenging and it can lead to some depression, quite honestly. And I mean, I don't get depressed, but I sometimes I get like, what am I doing? And should I keep doing this? I like I said, I always go back to the community and one of the schools right around the corner in Canise, you know, because you did this with me. We did a fundraiser for one of the really tier one schools in Harlem, which means it's one of the schools that's like really not funded uh and are right now they're 
only giving money based on how many students are in the schools, which is kind of rough being that after COVID students weren't really returning. So it was unfair. And this school, the budget cuts and Mayor Adams just did another like severe budget cut, which is also going to defund the schools even more so. And this school is already suffering. You have teachers who are not able to do their lesson plans. They have to, they have parents filling in sometimes just to help so that they can do their lesson plans. You have teachers now having to raise money for school supplies. It's insane across the board, by the way, in all the schools in New York City, but the ones that are really struggling are now really struggling. So Kenise was a part of the fundraiser that we did for PS 180 here in Harlem. And we've raised, so far we've raised like 10,000. Uh, our goal is like at least 60 grand. Uh, we still have it up. It's in my link tree. If you're listening, you could always go to my link tree or my website to donate. But I went to the school last week because Scholastic Books uh, went there as well because they sold the most as far as like diverse books because they were going to, flag those books for, and they got such a backlash. Scholastic books was like, people are like, why are you flagging like our stories? How old yeah. are the kids? The, uh, these kids are like uh, the ones that I, I went to and saw. It, it can range from six to like 13 at the school. Uh, I've got a stack and I'm going to get your mailing address um, of Damon John, Little Damon Learns to Earn Books. And I'm shipping them oh, to you. Cool. Oh, my cool. God. Wow, that's Thank so cool. So much. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to support it. Definitely. Thank you. Because their enthusiasm, the kids that I saw, these were six year olds, seven, the ones that I were, they were like seven. Their enthusiasm for reading is there. And I went in. And they just asked me to come in to read a book during the Scholastics books. They're in th they want to come in and get books. It's exciting for them. I read Big Girl with Big Questions and the way they get involved. And it's a story that also represents them. You know, there's a question about how do you say Spanish blue and Spanish? Oh, well, uh, Marina, you're so right. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is Graham Greene, a poet, and he said, there's a moment in every child's life when the door opens and lets the future in. And that's what we're doing. When you go, I mean, this is this is the book I'm sending you. It's um, I'm going to send you a whole so bunch cool. of cool. And yeah, we'll just get them all for the kids. I mean, it, it's just that's what it's about. Oh, thank I you love so that you're much. doing that. Yeah, we do a whole dance video. If you see on my uh, Instagram, you'll see you'll see a video where one I'm going to visit the school and I talk about the book, book, um, Scholastic book sale. And then the second one is we do a dance video because Miss Opa asked me to come and let's do it. She goes, I know you do dance videos every Friday, so my students would love to do that with you. So I did it with two of the kids, and we're gonna I'm gonna go back oh. and do some more. Dapper Dan goes to the school and hangs out. I just love that they have like, it's an open door for people in the community to come and help. And I, I didn't even realize I could do that. I told her, I said, I'd love to just whatever you need. Cause they have a lot of migrant students there too, uh, that are new and need help. They need clothes. They need clean Absolutely. clothes, simple, simple yeah. stuff. But that stuff fills me up, like you were saying. So I really appreciate everything that you said and what you're doing. And 
I thank you so much for being here today. Oh having my God, you. you guys are so beautiful. Before we go, I got a question. I want to hear how you both got into comedy. I just, I, I mean, I seriously mean it when I bow down to comics. I, I understand the pressure. I understand the brilliance. I understand the timing. I mean, I'm just like, so just give me a little something before, before we head off. I want to hear. I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs, so that pretty much, I don't know how I would have come out any other way, but I, I grew up in a white neighborhood, then moved to a black neighborhood. So I went from being the only black child in all white neighborhoods to being the only white child in all black neighborhood. Uh, and then to a, a, like a mixed neighborhood. And I didn't know, I was always sort of like a chameleon. So I was always trying to fit in. So I would try to talk like who I was around. So I went from talking like a white girl to talking like a black. And no one wanted me to talk either way. And then I went to the mixed neighborhood. It was, economically, it was just black and white. And everyone was like, just be you. And it was the crazy, it's just that whole thing led to my sort of, uh, I was always a performer. I was always silly. I used to, that was my survival was I would make, even the kids that wanted to fight me, I had one girl say, she goes, of all the girls I've slapped. <laughs> and then she said, of all the girls I've slapped you, I felt the worst about you because you're so funny. <laughs> it was like a compliment. Oh, a, li a literal great. backhanded compliment. So <laughs> how old were you when you first took the stage? I was always, my grandma used to always put me in front of the, the gospel choir to sing uh, Jesus Loves Me when I was like seven. And I would just sing so wow. seven and then uh, all the way through high school, I would do something. I didn't know what form it was at first. It was, uh, I would, I did my graduation speech in junior high school because I had a teacher named Miss Bird who was like, I was, my parents were going through a divorce and I was an emotional teenager. So I was like, I was crying all the time. I wrote a lot of poetry and she was like, you need to get in front of the class and talk about it. And share your poetry that's how she talked because she smokes a lot of cigarettes and then she said she said and i want to see you get up there and do the graduation speech you can do it and then i did that it was a big performance for me my dad was i remember my dad and my mom was like whoa we didn't know you had this and then from then on high school i was a pick a little lady in the music band all kinds child. of stuff <laughs> Oh, I was not an only, I was only a child for eight years. And then my sister, unfortunately, she has passed. But um, I have other, I have another sister who's 16 years younger than me, who now she visits me in New York. And I'm like, what, you know, like, what are you doing? But um, so, yeah, I had a fun family, I should say. I have a lot of half siblings yeah. that I just yeah, found I, out we, about. We, that's another podcast we'll talk about. <laughs> yes, it is. But Kanice, what about you? Um, Maria, it's such a similar story. I grew up in South Africa. I went to a very white school. I was the only Indian in my white school. And then after, after school, I decided to move to India because I was like, I, yeah, I think that's where I'll fit in. And then I went to India and I was, I was a little too South African for India. And so then I moved to New York. And I, I swear, I just always trying to, like, I actually, I put together, I finally built my one hour and I'm touring right now. And it's called I Found My People because it's me just constantly trying to search for my people and my voice. And, and that's also how comedy came about, just feeling like a fish out of water or a chameleon. Or I was like, 
it's such an interesting story. Like when I was in university, in high school, I remember I had a very thick white South African accent. And then I'd speak to my parents on the phone and it would become this very Indian accent. I remember like my school friends being like, did you just change your accent? I was like, what are you talking about? No, I didn't. Like, I didn't even know I was doing that. But um, Cold switching. Yeah. I love like now my people. I love that. That's- yeah, it's called I Found My People. And I was like, I'm just going to run with this because it comes from a genuine place. And I was like, I want to make a, some a show out of this. So I did that. And I'm, and yeah, I, I remember, you know, when you were talking, I was like, that's exactly what, that's where comedy could happen for me. Just trying to fit in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Motley crew. <laughs> exactly. About so we're going yeah. to get out. I want to thank you both so much for being here today. Dana, Kanis, can you tell our listeners thank you, where Marina. they can find you? And a friends like us. Uh, yes. So uh, you can find me on all social media platforms. It's at Kanis Circa. So check it out. And also with friends like us, you can feel really inspired because that's what today made me feel inspired to look at how I can build my wealth. Um, I feel inspired to look into how I can help my community, um, especially children in my community. Um, so thank you, Dana. I feel very inspired by the conversation we had today. Genuinely inspired to go do something after this. Aww, or look Dana. into it at least. Yeah. Yes. Dana, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, I can be found at therealdanafrank.com. That's my website. I'm on all social media as well, Dana Frank. And with friends like us, I have really found home. I mean, for me, it's a sisterhood of sharing, of just you guys made me feel so comfortable and welcome. And I just, uh, I love your bravery and your comedy and your ability to amplify uh important stories that need to be shared to change the narrative of everyone's future so i'm honored and thank you oh thank you my goodness i'm honored marina franklin here just go to my website marinafranklin.com also i'm doing a headline show at the city winery here at the loft space at the city winery december 16th 7 30 p.m show it's my show headlines so get your ticket and with friends like us you can feel like honored beyond honored to have the guests that i am able to get because we are all friends like us <laughs> look how i did that i was like how do i wrap this around here yes and dana your book don't forget is coming up debut get up and get on it a black entrepreneur's lesson on creating legacy and wealth i'm getting it so check, check us out, out.